everybody to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. My name is Matt. Today is November 21st, 2015, and we're going to be here live for the next 58 minutes. To be honest with you, it feels like I haven't spoken to you in about a month. I don't know what happened this week, but I just feel like I've been away from this mic for a long time. Now, like a bullet going out of a muzzle of a gun going to its target, it can be affected by many things. I feel that way today. Um, I've been affected by things, listening, seeing, doing, and it made me want to look something up. The expression, too smart by half. I'm going to read to you the Urban Dictionary version of too smart by half. It is to be too smart by half is to be too smart for one's own good, meant either literally or ironically. As an idiom, it usually is sarcastic. The phrase has a wide range of potential uses. For instance, it can mean seemingly clever action that is in fact foolish or logically accepting something as necessary that isn't or overanalysis or elitism. So somebody out there had to hear it or somebody wanted to hear it and I was um, destined to speak that. So take, take it, do with it what you wish. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to move right into the highlights of the show, give you an idea of what's coming up. If you want to make contact with me via email, just go to aaronsgunshop at gmail.com or go directly to the website aaronsgunshop.com. Today in our CHL segment, we'll cover the use of force levels. I'll have the chart showing elements of a confrontation, and we're going to talk about verbalization. That'll be pretty interesting. And again this week, three more stories from the American Rifleman's The Armed Citizen. We'll see what we can glean from that section. And my PEP section, my preparedness eliminates panic section, will touch on many ways to secure your home that really doesn't take that much to do. Also, my topic of interest section will be a review of all the things that Aaron's have to offer. And a lot of you may enjoy this. I've been asked many times why I am the way I am when it comes to personal security. Well, if there's time, I'm going to talk about my experiences and what has shaped my life and, and made me this way. So you might be interested in that. And I'll tell you what, before we go even further, I'm going to give you 10 pet peeves. Some of them are mine, some of them are others, but we'll get the show rolling here. And at the end of the show in the pet peeve or WTF section, uh, we'll take some calls and see if you have any pet peeves you just want to share to get off your chest. But right now, let me give you my, the top 10 list for today of pet peeves. Number one. Touching my stuff. Don't touch my stuff. People have a tendency to touch stuff that's not theirs. Put it back where it's not supposed to be. Drives me nuts. Rudeness. Uh, Don't be rude to me. And if I'm rude to you, tell me and I'll apologize. But don't be rude to me. Braggers. You brag, I leave. I don't want to hear about it. That's number three. Number four. People's pets. Sniffing my crotch. You ever go up to somebody and say, Hey, how you doing, Bob? Hey, Joe, what's going on? And their dog runs up to your nose, muzzle their, you know, bam, right in your crotch. I don't like that. That's a pet peeve. No pun intended. Okay, irresponsible gun owners. That's a big one, too. Everybody, a lot of people will relate to this one. Toilet paper going under instead of over. Number seven, squeezing the top of the tube of toothpaste instead of squeezing from the bottom. This one here is kind of gross. It's not mine. Somebody brought it up, but what the heck. Picking, rolling, and flicking boogers in public. Whatever. Whatever. Okay, I'm just I'm just passing. I'm the messenger. Number nine, being interrupted. And lastly, number ten, a baby's lingering dirty diaper. Well, we've all had a whiff of that one, right? So that's ten pet peeves. Write your own up. Call us up at two five four seven seven three fourteen hundred. And towards the end of the show, we'll put you on if we got time and see what you've got to complain about. Right now, let's move into our CHL section. We're going to be talking about use of force levels. 
uh, chart, basically a chart showing elements of a confrontation process, and then we'll talk about verbalization. I made a copy out of our student handbook showing the chart, the elements of a confrontation process. I don't know if you can see that on the video right there, but I'm going to read it to all you people listening out there in Radio Land, and you can check out the video later on my website, maybe tomorrow, maybe Monday. But there's two types of people. There is the aggressor, the one who wants to do you harm, and then there's the defender, the one they want to do the harm to. So all you people out there in radio land, you're going to be the defender today. Okay? I am going to be the aggressor. So here's what happens, and I always use this, always use this example. You're, you're in the mall, okay? you've got this big fat wallet sticking out of your rear pocket, and you're leaning over a kiosk counter, probably looking for a phone case, not paying attention to your surroundings. While I'm in the shadows in a dark corner in the mall, looking at people, checking them out to see who's the most vulnerable, and ah, I see you bending over the kiosk. So my mental process for the aggressor is, I'm going to hide, I'm going to look, seek, and find my potential victim. And once I find them, I'm going to do what it takes to get that wallet out of your back pocket. Now, we move to the defender. As I come up to you and stick my five-and-a-half-inch blade inside your kidney, you're going to mentally start going, Hey, what's that burning sensation I'm feeling in my right kidney? My clothes, they feel wet all of a sudden. That pain, that, oh, what's this blood doing on the floor as you pass out and there you are on the floor? So, the defender, that's you who just got knifed, will always be in a position of disadvantage unless you got a plan in place and recognize the pre-incident indicators and know what they mean. So what's the plan? The plan is be aware of your surroundings. I teach this all the time until I'm blue in the face. There's three A's out there. The first A is acknowledgement. Acknowledge there's a threat. If you do not acknowledge there's a threat, you're an idiot, okay? You're ignorant. You don't get it. There is a threat out there, and one day, somehow, to some degree, whether it be minimal or maximum, you're going to be aggressed upon by somebody. So how you handle it's going to be one. How you handle it will determine how you prepare for it. Recognizing the pre-incident indicators. Look around. Second A. Be aware of your surroundings. Look in your reflective surfaces. Anybody coming up from behind you? Do you hear heavy footsteps? Look around. Be aware of who's in your area. And then, of course, the third A is avoided if at all possible. Whatever it means, you can. Now, let's move on to verbalization. This may take a minute. Verbal, verbal de-escalation skills and conflict management tactics are both very important aspects of training when getting your CHL license. Speaking of which, I have a CHL class today at 2.30. You have time to make it. Get in the car now. Turn your radio on to K10 1400 and listen to me while you get there. There's still seats available. Now, I'm not going to get into each area, but I will list the different areas of discussion that can take place in a CHL class. And I'm going to read them directly out of the student handbook. I think there's about 10 sections. So depending on how much time I've got here, we'll determine how much I talk. The communication, communication process by which information is exchanged between individuals through a common system of words, signs, symbols, and or behaviors. The communication process, as a society, we have developed ways to exchange information in order to express what we want, what we need, how we feel, etc. In order for communication to be effective, we must know how to get our message across. Then, section two, fail to communicate. Communication can fail when we do not look at each other when speaking, when we do not listen to what is being said, and when we do not respond with the appropriate words to make sure that the message was received correctly. Ladies and gentlemen, you talk to me, look at me. When I talk to you, I'm going to look at you. The eyes tell me what you're thinking, your hips tell me which way you're going to go. Section three, elements of a conversation. There's the speaker, message, the receiver, and the feedback. The feedback element is the most important. 
Feedback is the response. The response determines if the information was received correctly. So you're writing all this down. These are good notes, good tidbits of information to know when you're doing a conflict of uh, uh, trying to get out of a situation. You can learn verbiage and body language and all that. So let's go to section four. Interactions in a conversation. This is very important. When people talk to each other, there's actually six different interactions taking place between the speaker and the listener. There's six opportunities for a message to get lost or misunderstood. I'm not going to get into it now. You want to learn it? Come take my class, 2.30 today. There are uh, Section B, though, nonverbal. While people are talking to each other, not only are words exchanged, but there are silent signs, signals, and behaviors that are communicated. Ladies and gentlemen, that's almost more important than, than the verbal aspect of it. I'm always watching people's body language. If you can learn the body language and pick up on little signs or ticks from people, it gives you good insight as to what they're thinking and what they're going to do. Section C, barriers. A number of things can interfere with what a person is trying to say and with how a person hears what is being said. You've got backgrounds of peace, people, customs, accents, language usage, and the inability to understand the English language. We've got that problem. Person from comprehending a person from comprehending what someone is actually trying to say. Assumptions. Assumptions. Work environment, home environment, even stable relationships can create a foundation of assumptions. So we don't ever want to assume. We know what happens when we assume. Poor listening. There are those people who are just not good listeners. They will not devote the time necessary to get the correct information. Previous interactions. If people have had problems with each other in the past, there's potential for conflict because of these past issues. How true. Other indications. This is a big one with me. It goes back to watching your listeners. Watching your listeners can give you insight into how they are receiving your information. Facial expression, sowing signs of confusion or disinterest, lack of attention, so on and so forth. Outside interference. Noise, traffic, temperature, crowds, time of day, is there a workload on them, weather, etc., etc. I talked about this one before, conflict situations, um, ego states, parental, adult, and child. In technical language, an ego state may be described as a system of feelings accompanied by a related set of behavior patterns. There's so much that goes into... Uh, when it comes to verbalization, if you understand, you know how to speak, you know what tone to speak, you know how directly to speak, how commanding to speak. And as time's ticking away here, ladies and gentlemen, there's so much more to go. That was just half of a chapter, and I was just reading the headlines. But to learn this, take one of my classes. I've got a class today at 2.30 at Aaron's Gun Shop in Cameron. I'll also have a class December 12th at 2.30, right after the show. So you can prepare for that one, too. But if you're spontaneous, you want to make it out there, come on out. There's time. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to move on to the next section here just because of the sake of time. And I want to go into the NRA section because we can learn and glean off of these stories some things that we don't make mistakes. If we get, learn from their mistakes, maybe we won't make the same mistake. So in this section, I'm going to read you three stories from the NRA's Armed Citizen page of the American Rifleman. And hopefully, these true stories, we can learn what to do and what not to do and maybe even get a laugh out of the story if the story permits it. Depends on the story. And once again... Sign up for the NRA, become an NRA member, get your choice of magazines, the American Hunter, American Rifleman, or whatever. It, the numbers help so bad litigation uh, laws don't get put up there in the books. All right, story number one. This is from September 2015. And I believe I picked all these stories because they're all woman-related. Sometimes bad guys don't listen unless you have a gun. And sometimes just showing the gun is enough of a deterrent. That was the case in Portland, Maine, when a knife-wielding thief accosted a 35-year-old Cumberland woman in a parking lot near a medical center. The would-be thief approached the woman and asked her for money. 
She said she had none. The assailant then pulled out a knife and demanded money again. The woman got into her car and grabbed a handgun she kept inside. After she brandished the gun, the perpetrator ran off. Police are still searching for the suspect. Okay, let's read my commentary. First of all, number one, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. That's the oldest rule in the book. Don't bring a gun, a knife to a gunfight. Number two, the woman brandished the gun to defend herself. Now, in Texas, that would be Penal Code 904, threat is justifiable force. You're using threat to say, hey, don't mess with me. I can defend myself and the person leaves. So that's threat is justifiable force. And number three, the assailant left the, let the woman get in the car, grab a gun, and brandish it at him. Now, maybe I should give classes on how to rob somebody because this guy didn't have a clue. I mean, how can you let the woman have that much time get in the car? I'm kind of messing around here, but it's incredible that she was able to go in the car, get the gun, and the guy didn't assault her. So number, let's go to story number two. This is from September 2015. They weren't ready for the nine I had. That is how a Detroit woman who has a concealed carry permit summed things up after she used her 9mm handgun to make five intruders turn tail and flee. A strange tapping sound woke up Dieta Gai, I believe is the name, in the middle of the night. When she heard glass shatter after a few seconds later, she realized someone was trying to break in. She then slipped out of bed and grabbed her Glock which was on the table under her purse. When she looked into the other room to assess the situation, she saw that three men had already entered the home and two others were outside. I just let loose on them, she told the reporter, saying she fired four shots, enough to chase the men away. One of the bad guys shot her in the leg before he fled. The suspects have not been caught, and it's unclear whether any of them were shot. Police, however, think at least one man was hit because they found no bullets in the house. Here's my commentary. Number one. Another story of a woman taking charge. Women are becoming empowered. They're taking classes from me. They're learning a whole bunch of good inside information. They're becoming very proficient. We had a whole bunch of ladies at our shop last night. It's amazing how much they advance with slight adjustments, and they're so eager to learn. Two, she slipped out of bed. I hate when people go like this. Is someone there? You just gave away your position. So what did she do? She slipped out of her bed. And she snuck around and she saw what was going on. Then she let loose on them. No hesitation. She knew what to do. Be sure, however, that your aim is true. Don't just spray bullets. Now, last story. This one's from August 2015. Rifles can come in handy for self-defense. A St. Regis, Montana woman used a 22-250 Remington rifle to fend off a bear. The woman and her husband were watching TV late one night when they heard a noise outside. The husband opened the door to investigate, and the bear charged. The woman shot once, felling the animal eight feet from the home. Okay, here's my commentary. One, the husband opens the door to investigate. Where's your gun, dude? (laughs) You're going to go out there and investigate. Where's your gun? Two, your wife had to back you up, which is great, but she also had to take the shot. Three, guys, man up. You're making males look bad. No bonus on this one. I'm embarrassed to be a man at the moment just because of that situation. But anyway, we're moving on. Okay, I'm a little past time here, so we're going to go to the next section here. Actually, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, do a one-minute break, and when we come back, we're going to go into our PEP section, and the PEP section is going to cover tips that you can do to secure your house that won't really cost you a lot of money to do it. So we'll be back in just a minute. 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. But right now, we're going to be talking about 48 tips to make your home more secure. There's a lot of things that go through my mind, but I just started looking up on uh, doing some Google search just to see who has written it down already for me, make it easy for me. And I'm looking at this sheet, and I got it from the Weekend Prepper. They've got a lot of good stuff. And so I looked over this article, and I said, yeah, I agree with most of it here. Some things apply to me, some things don't. So what I want to do is just read to you through this list of 48 things that you can do to secure your house better. It really doesn't take that much to do. Uh, a couple of adjustments here. So let me go on right now. It says, there are many steps you can take to make your home more secure. Assuming that you already have an alarm system, here are several other additional low-cost methods to make your home more secure for outside invasion, from outside invasion. Since there are many suggestions in this home security article, we may have broke, we have broken it down into sections. One for each area of your house that you may want to secure. So they're going to start off with windows. Place alarm sticker decals and or beware of dog decals on windows where they will be easily visible. Sure, you're bluffing. Okay, that'll work. Use timers to turn on and off lights and a radio at various times to give the house a lived-in look, even when you're not there. Cool? Sounds good to me. Leave a radio or a TV on during the day if you're not at home. One thing about that is I got to the point where it's, hey, the radio's on, the TV's on, that means nobody's home. <laughs> it's, it's almost so cliche that you do that, it makes you think that nobody's there. Now, this one I've got highlighted. It says, make an additional lock for the windows, if appropriate for the model of window, to prevent someone from lifting the window from outside. Now, I'm going to pause there and pull up a picture that I saw from a security camera of a built-in business being burglarized. Belton police released this photo of a man thought to be connected to at least one Belton business break-in. It was captured by surveillance camera. It says here that a cash register was taken from the restaurant and entry was made through a window. Now, I want you to look at this picture, if you can see it on the video. I showed another one of two people breaking into a house and... Um, to show what it looks like two scumbags in your house. Well, this is a scumbag, dirt bag, needs to be taken care of in somebody's place of business trying to make a living for themselves. Look at the scumbag. That's what a person looks like when they invade your home. Lock your windows. Secure your windows. Be prepared. If they're in there, you do what you feel you got to do. He's a scumbag. All right, let's go on. Close the curtains and lock the windows when you go out. There is no reason to let someone see into your house, especially if they can see valuables. Makes sense to me. If you have a window, air conditioner securely fastened to the window so it can't be easily removed. Position electronics. This one I didn't even think about. Position electronics so that the illuminated fronts do not point towards windows. A thief seeing a little green light or red light will know that the room is a target for potential electronics. If you do not have a real alarm system, consider installing dummy equipment like fake motion um, sensor devices in a position where someone looking at the window would see them. All right, moving on to doors. Make sure that you are using a solid wood or metal door for all exterior doors. And make sure they fit snugly in their frames. That's very important. You don't want to be able to somebody shake the door and it comes out the door frame. Mount deadbolts securely to the door frames. Secure tumblers with plates. Use long screws in the plates to make it harder for the doors to be knocked in, kicked in. Consider a security bar to be used when you're at home. Good idea. Easy to get rid of if you have to get out the door. Keep a key with a trusted neighbor or in a safe, secure location on your property so someone can enter the house in an emergency without destroying an entry point. Install doorknob alarms. This is a pretty neat one, too. You can go to Home um, Harbor Freight for something like that. These little alarms sound off very loudly when they're moved. 
They're great to attach to doors. If someone tries to break in, they'll emit loud, piercing sound, just like an alarm system would go off. And ladies and gentlemen, here's another thing too. These little alarms that they're talking about, you can put them in your bug out bags and you can set up a perimeter around where you are. God forbid if you have to be out on the road or in the woods or something, you can set up a perimeter with strings and those alarms. If you have an outside door with glass, consider replacing it with safety glass or metal grill work. Install a wide angle peephole and a chain lock. Chain lock is worthless, but the wide peephole would be a pretty good idea. Do not leave notes on the front door to say you're not at home. Also, don't keep mail piling up in your mailbox. Don't install a pet door. If you need one, consider an auto-opening pet door triggered by your pet's collar. For a big enough pet, the pet door is an open invitation into your home. Ground floor windows. If allowed by local zoning, consider installing safety and shatterproof glass in the windows. Consider installing security grates on the windows. If you put security grates on your windows, you must make sure you have access to get out. There's got to be some device that will immediately open those windows. Otherwise, you're a prisoner in your home in case it catches on fire. Shrubs and trees. This is important. Don't grow trees where they obscure the view of windows from the road or a neighbor's house. If you have large trees, be sure, not, be sure no load-bearing branches are close to second-story windows. Somebody can climb up. Keep all shrubs around the house below the height of the windows so that they're always visible. And consider, insul- consider installing prickly shrubs under the windows to make a very uncomfortable place for a would-be thief to, to pry his or do his illicit trades. Basement windows. Install a metal grate on all basement windows or install a steel bar halfway down the window so the gap is not large enough for someone to climb in it. Drain pipes. I didn't even think about this one. Plastic drain pipes are less likely to support the weight of a thief than metal ones. Cover your drain pipes with a with anti-climb paint and grease starting at about eight feet above the ground. Man, we're getting high tech here now. Put cement between the drain pipe and the house to remove any potential handholds and surround the bottom of the drainage with prickly plants. All right, let's talk about sliding glass doors. Use vertical lock bolts and shatterproof glass on your sliding glass doors. Insert a properly cut piece of wood on the bottom track to prevent the door from sliding. That's an amazing little trick right there. Everybody knows it, I think, and it works great. And if they smash through the window, that's going to give you a sound warning that somebody's breaking into your house. Drill holes and insert screws along the door frame so the doors can't be lifted out of their tracks. Don't let any deliveries sit overnight as it is an indication of an empty house. I've already mentioned this one. Stop newspaper and mail deliveries if you're going to be gone for a while. Don't want stuff piling up in front of your house and at the mailbox. Now, let's talk about the garage. The garage, once they get in, it's an easy way to get to the house. Let's make sure we got that covered. Have a switch inside your house that lets you turn on and off your garage lights. Install a motion sense light outside your garage door. Install a peephole between your inside door and the garage. If you have a quick-release rope on your garage door opener, tie it short so it can't be snagged by a thief to activate the release. If you've been gone for a while, be sure to lock the garage door. And what they mean by that, there's two ways they mean by that. You can actually lock the garage door, and then if you'll notice in the tracks that the wheels go up and down, there's holes in those tracks. You can get yourself a nice little padlock and put it in one of those holes right above one of the wheels. So when somebody tries to lift the door, it can only move up about a quarter of an inch to a half an inch, and then that lock just stops the wheels from going up the track. That's an excellent way to do it. That'd be for a long-term type of uh, vacancy. 
if you have a garage door opener, have strong have a strong person try to open the door when it is closed. Some garage door opens will fail this test and need to be repaired. Additional precautions you can take. Have lamp posts or floodlights to light your yard at night. Remove shadows and remove a thief's best nighttime friend. Make sure your floodlights are too high to be easily reached and use bulbs that are shatterproof. Make sure that you show... You stow away any ladders after finishing with them. They're a great and convenient way for a thief to break into your second story. Keep trellises, picnic tables, lawn furniture away from your house. Don't give the thief an easy leg up on the window. And if you love dogs, consider a breed that likes to bark and make noise. Thieves don't like noise, and while a dog won't stop a thief, it will make him consider another property possibly. So there you have it. Those are about 48 things that you can do, and it's relatively cheap, or you, you don't even have to buy anything. You may have a lot of this stuff at your home already, but you haven't implemented it yet. So these are things that you consider. The day and age we live in, ladies and gentlemen, anything can happen at any time. And don't tell me I live in a good neighborhood. You're probably safer sometimes in a bad neighborhood. I know there's some businesses... Like, there's boxes where you honorably put your money in it. In some bad neighborhoods, there's more money in than a good neighborhood. It's weird. It's weird how things work. But sometimes a good neighborhood is the worst place to be, and a bad neighborhood is really not that bad. So just to cover all bases, protect yourself 365 days a year in a 360-degree perimeter. So with that, we're going to take another break, and after the... uh, top of the hour break we're going to come into our topic of interest section and we'll go over a few more promotions that we're doing as well so we'll see you in just a minute welcome back everybody aaron's gun shop here aaron's high cap adventure radio program my name is matt and right now we're going over our topic of interest section what i wanted to do is go over a bunch of things that aaron's is doing i've had people ask me all the time what makes you the way you are when it comes to security why are you so into this i guess it's my upbringing, I guess it's where, where I'm from. So I'm going to tell you a little secret, and I, don't, I, I want you to walk away from the radio. Do not change the radio dial. I'm about to tell you something. Do not change the dial. I'm originally from New York, okay? I'm as Texan as I can get, but I've got all my experiences, uh, most of which come from New York and time and service and personal security and a whole bunch of stuff. So what gets me the way I am? First of all, I think a lot of it had to do with being scared to death in my house. In New York, I had a large, huge, large, three-story, four-story, if you consider the basement, Victorian home. It's like um, Psycho. That, that house, if you look at that house on Psycho, it's kind of like that. It gives you the creeps. You go down in the basement alone, and it's got all these catacombs, ins and outs of where you can go. And there was this one doorway that was, it was locked. The door was shut. It had something in front of it. And the door was locked. You could see the lock on it. But there was one window broken. And it was totally out of the door frame. And so all the other windows are gray, full of dirt and uh, soot, I guess, because they used to have a coal bin in the bottom there from heating the house. But the one window that was missing, you could look in that window, and it was pure darkness, just pitch black darkness. And I'd have to walk past that door to go to the, the washing machine because we kept it down in the basement. It would freak me out. I'm like, what the heck's behind that door? I'm waiting for a hand to come out or something. So that kind of make, makes you very... Um, defensive when you're walking around corners or dark alleys. And then coming back from that, I have to walk past the uh, wine cellar. And the wine cellar was kind of spooky because that was right next to the cistern, which was even lower than the basement. So the house freaked me out. So here I am. (laughs) I'm kind of like walking around. Hey, what's coming around the next corner? If I made it out of my house, then I had to walk down my street where I lived in New York. Uh, It was a pretty rough part of town. I lived in this house and two houses down the street from me, there was an alleyway. 
And in the alleyway, they've got machine gun fire going on. I hear ambulances and police cars going by every 10, 15 minutes. And that one time about machine gun fire, I'm in the house and I'm hearing machine gun fire. And the next day, I've got to go to work. And I'm walking down the street and I see a BMW and it's got holes all in the, in the passenger door from where they were having gunfire. So I've got to worry about that. Uh, I've got prostitutes and drug dealers on my street. And one time I'm walking to work, my work was right around the corner. And as I'm going down the corner to turn right across the corner, kitty corner from there, is a tall apartment building, probably about five stories for that location. It was a tall building. And on the stoop, there's six guys. Well, two stay on the porch, and the other, two, the other four split off. Two go in one direction, two go in the other. They're bracketing me. And I'm walking down the street. And I've got my long black leather trench coat and my long hair and all this stuff. I'm trying to look bad. And I carry a 1911 full size in a shoulder rig underneath that leather jacket. So as these guys are splitting off, I'm like, okay, I know what's going on. As they come up to me, I open up my jacket and I say, not today. I know what you guys want. Leave me alone. They go, that's cool, man. That's cool. So you have to be defensive. I'm walking down the street. I got to worry about what's going to jump out from me in the bushes. I got to worry about who's going to come across the street and try and get me. There's all these different things I had to worry about. So it kind of makes one uh, get protective. I'm walking down the street again, same street. And the funny thing is it's called Garden Street. So who knows? I'm walking down the street with a friend of mine. And I notice that there's this car trailing us going kind of slow I'm thinking this is odd when cars do that something's not right all of a, as I turn around to look all of a sudden the cabbie guns the car pulls right up to us comes almost to a screeching stop throws out his 38 stainless steel special out the window and points it at us and I grab this friend of mine throw him over the bushes get down low and then the guy peels off so you know when I hear noises like that I kind of reflect back on times when people are trying to point a gun at me I've had gangs want to hang me from a tree because I wouldn't join their gang. We've had race riots and school rumbles. So, ladies and gentlemen, I've got reason to, <laughs> I've got reason to know what I'm doing and know what to do well. I'm always watching out, turning my head 180 degrees. That's why I make very good uh, personal protection detail uh, person. I'm constantly turning my head, looking to see what's going on, using reflective surfaces, listening to noises, feeling vibrations. Am I paranoid? Nope, not a bit, because I know there's a potential for threat out there. Being paranoid is when you haven't got a clue. You're just freaking out for no reason. I know there's lots and lots of threats out there. And the way we minimize the threat and the way um, we avoid the threat is being aware of our surroundings. So that's a little story about me. That's where I come from. And I'm sure a lot of you here have got stories too, but coming from New York where I'm at and the situations I've been through, it has put me to uh, feel a certain way. And I try to convey that to my students and show them all the little tricks that I've learned because of those incidents that have happened to me. And, you know, depending on who you are, where you live, what you do, how you dress, I can give all this information, all these data points to help assist you in whatever aspect of life you're doing. So there we have it. That's a little bit about me. You want to call up, make a comment, you're more than welcome to do so. The number is 254-773-1400. 254-773-1400. Email me at aaronsgunshop at gmail.com or go to the website at aaronsgunshop.com. What we're going to do is we're going to reset here to go to our next section. I'm going to get set up and we're going to take a break for another minute. And we'll come back and we're going to go over um, a product spotlight from Blackjack Firearms. I'm going to show this pretty little delicious AR 9mm pistol again. It's 
too nice. I've had guys shoot it last night, some ladies shoot it last night at the range, and they fall in love with it. It's just so easy to shoot. So we'll be back in just one minute, and uh, we'll show you what we've got. Aaron's Gun Shop and High Cap Adventures. If you've decided to carry a handgun for self-defense, you better know what you're doing. If you don't, you better learn fast. Not only fast, but thoroughly. Aaron's Gun Shop and High Cap Adventures fills the void between a Johnny wannabe and a person who has been properly trained in the proper handling and use of a firearm. Call me, Matt Betros, at 254-697-4721 or email me at aaronsgunshop at gmail.com and set up a class or seminar to get you started on the road to proficiency with a firearm for self-defense. Go to our website, aaronsgunshop.com, and review the High Cap Adventures page. We have seminars to cover most forms of firearms training. Call 254-697-4721 or email me at aaronsgunshop at gmail.com to get more information on how to get started with your training. The time for games is over. Reality starts now. aaronsgunshop.com Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. It's the 21st of November, and we are at our product spotlight demo. If you're watching me on the video, you're noticing that I've got a beautiful, delicious-looking AR 9mm pistol made by Blackjack Firearms. Check out Blackjack Firearms at bjfirearms.biz. They've got a lot of stuff. I always comment on how they're like a re- they should be like a restaurant with their menu. You can, you can pick and choose. They'll sit you down and say, what do you need? What do you want? What's it for? And they'll show you different types of products. Well, that's what we did with this gun right here that I'm showing on the video. It's an AR 9mm pistol. And we shot it last night again at the range, and everybody who shoots it, they're putting them in the same hole. Uh, minimal recoil, very comfortable to hold, and I've got a bunch of little add-ons I put onto it, so we're going to go over it right now. But the first thing we do when we get a firearm is what, ladies and gentlemen, I'm listening. That's right. We check to make sure it's not loaded. First thing I do is take out the mag. Mag is clear. I'm going to pull the bolt to the rear and check the chamber. Weapon's clear, and the weapon is on safe. So now, let's talk about it. Put this back in here just for looks. We have... I, I talked to John. I said, John, I'm wanting an AR platform because a lot of my other weapons are in the AR platform. So instead of me having to learn a different type of gun and where the mechanisms are, I want the same configuration when it comes to controls. But I want it shorter, and I want it in a pistol cartridge. For those of you who have an AR pistol in a rifle cartridge... Um, it's very wise to shoot it with earmuffs because it's extremely loud and I didn't want that. I wanted to be able to shoot this gun without earmuffs if I had to and be able to recover from every report without my ears bleeding. So I really like the 9mm configuration. So what we have here, if you'll notice, if you can see in the video, I'm, I'm showing you where my finger is in the magazine well, it's not your normal size mag well for an AR rifle. This one was custom fit to fit the um, Colt AR uh, 9mm magazines that carry 32 rounds. They're like stick mags. So I didn't want this big mag with a little stick sticking out of it. I wanted it more contoured shape to make it look pretty. I'm to aesthetics too. So here we have this special receiver. And this receiver, um, John from Blackjack Firearms, he got it from Quarter Circle 10 Tactical or something like that. Very nice. And what else we've got on here... It's a 9mm caliber, so it's a blowback system. It doesn't have gas coming down the barrel and then going back down to the uh, gas tube, going into the bolt, getting all that hot gas and stuff in there and gumming it up. It's strictly blowback. So you shoot the gun in one direction. For every, op- for every action, there's an equal and opposite action. It pushes the bolt to the rear. We've got our flip-up sights. The flip-up sights are really nice. 
because they stay, they lay low, they don't snag on anything, but if I need them, all I've got to do is pop the levers and they pop up and I've got my iron, even though they're made out of plastic, sights that pop up and I can shoot my target. However, I use those as backup sights. I don't use those as my primaries. What I've put on this uh, AR pistol is an EOTech. I'm not sure exactly which model this is, but I like this one because it takes AA batteries as compared to like those camera lithium batteries. But what's nice is I zero the red dot and it's fast shooting. And because there's minimal recoil on this gun, you literally at 10, 15 yards can just put them in the same hole. That's how accurate it is. But if for some reason the batteries die or the mechanism itself just goes bad, because I don't have a quick release on this particular one, I normally like a quick release, but because it's so easy to um, co-witness, I just flip up my iron sights, my backup sights, and I can look right through the lens of this EOTech and still hit my target because I can see the rear sight and the front sight right through the lens of the red dot sight. So that's pretty cool. The other nice thing on here is the uh, key mod quad rail. It's got a Picatinny rail all the way on the top from the front sight all the way to the rear sight, which I like. I don't like any breaks in the middle. So I can adjust my equipment anywhere I want without any potential for it being misaligned because i got a break in the Picatinny rail. It's one straight thing all the way across. The key mod quad rail, it's got this special design where you can insert rails into the larger side of the hole and slip it up into the skinnier part of the hole and then tighten it down. So you can modify this thing any way you want. I'm trying to keep it as trim as I can. One of the other nice things about the key mod is they have these holes, this one big hole right here that you can see towards the receiver side of the quad rail, which allows me to put in my quick release um, sling, sling strap. I forget what you call these things. But you pop it in there. So if I've got it slung around my shoulder, I need to get it off real quick. I just press the button and take the sling off. Now, I've talked to you before about sling adapters. I've talked to you about slings. I've talked to you about sights. I've talked to you about almost every aspect of this gun. So what we did is understanding and knowing what we have to work with and what to play with, you can come up better what fits best for you. So I put in a um, special sling that has a loop for quick adjustment. It's a quick adjusting strap. I've got the swivel sling swivel up front that detaches very quickly. I can make this two-point sling into a single-point sling, or I can just take it off altogether. But Now, what also comes with this gun from Blackjack Firearms, I'm getting sidetracked. What comes with this gun is this um, Sig Sauer arm brace. Now, if you're familiar with the Sig Sauer arm brace, what it's meant for is to support the pistol, because this pistol can get front-heavy, and if you put your arm through the rubber um, part of the Sig Sauer brace. It kind of looks like a rifle stock, but it's not. You put your hand through it, and you're able to grab the pistol, strap it down your arm, and it becomes more secure. So that comes with that as well. So you've got the Sig Sauer brace. You've got the Magpul grip, Mo grip, I believe it's called, because this particular one is rubberized, and it has a compartment in the bottom. It comes with the flip-up sights, five magazines. It comes with a soft case. It comes with the key mod quad rail. It's a 9mm. It comes with a 7.5-inch barrel with the flash hider. I think it makes it right about 9 inches. They're Colt-style magazines, 32 rounds each. It shoots extremely well, extremely accurate, minimal recoil. I love it to death. If you want to get one of these bad boys, go to Blackjack Firearms, bjfirearms.biz. And you can modify one that you already have. But this is a great little tool. It's a pistol. I got excited because of open carry. I was thinking, you know, if I ever wanted to, I could. If I put in a proper holster, I could carry this thing. I'm not going to. But I'm just saying just the thought of it going out there, just in case I got lots of firepower. But anyway, check it out. BJFirearms.biz. I think you're going to like what they've got. Let's move on, though, to a uh, gun training demo. 
in my class, I go over cartridges and what they mean or what they're composed of. Larry, this goes out to you. If you're listening, Larry, a friend of mine, Larry, explained to me why it's so important to be detailed in your description of things. I would tell people, and if you can see this in the, in the video, I'm holding a cartridge, but I would call it a bullet. Most people would just say, hey, that's a bullet. Well, in reality, it's not a bullet. It's a cartridge or a round. A cartridge in a round consists of different components. One of the components is the bullet, and that is the projectile, the part that goes out the muzzle of the barrel. The cartridge is seated inside the case, the shell casing. It could be brass, it could be plastic, it could be steel. The shell casing holds a primer at the bottom, and inside the casing is gunpowder. So when you put this whole thing together, you end up with a cartridge or a round. When you put the cartridge in the chamber of a gun and you go and cock the hammer and pull the trigger and the firing pin strikes the primer, the primer will spark. It sparks, it lights the gunpowder. The gunpowder burns very quickly and builds up pressure. The pressure has got to go somewhere. The weakest place it's going to go is at the backside of that bullet and push it down the barrel of the gun until it comes out the muzzle and then downrange to whatever it is that you're aiming at. So that's how it works. So you have components of a cartridge, the bullet, the shell casing, the primer, and gunpowder. Once again, you hit the primer, it sparks, it ignites the powder, the powder burns, the pressure builds up and pushes the projectile down the barrel out the muzzle of the gun. The other part that's important is to understand different categories of the round. Let me clarify. If I put a live cartridge into the chamber of the gun, I cock the hammer, I pull the trigger, I do that a hundred million times, and the cartridge never goes off. There's a term for that. There's probably a few different terms, but the term most commonly used is dud. It's a dud. It's broken. It doesn't work. You put the cartridge in the gun, in the chamber of the gun, pull the trigger, firing pin hits the primer again and again and again and again, and nothing happens. It's a dud. Okay. Next category, if I put this cartridge in the chamber of my gun and pull the trigger and the firing pin hits the primer but nothing happens and then 15 seconds later it goes off, what do we call that? There's a few terms for that one. You could call that one a delay fire, a hang fire, a slow burn. But the most important thing to know is when you pull that trigger and if it doesn't go off, keep the muzzle of the weapon pointed downrange or in a safe direction just in case that thing goes off 15 seconds later. So you've got the dud, the one that doesn't work. You've got the delay, the hang, or slow burn cartridge. Now let's talk about another one. This is important to set up. I've got about another minute here to tell you about it. If you put this cartridge in the chamber of a gun and it instantaneously goes off because the gun is critically white hot, super hot from use... We call that a cook-off. The thing is, you're probably not going to see that under normal use. You usually see that in combat. Somebody shooting a machine gun will say, long uh, bursts of fire, the barrel gets white hot. You can see the actual darker color bullets going down the barrel. The gun is so hot, it just set the round off, and that's called a cook-off. But at least you have an understanding. Now, you've got the dud, it doesn't work. You've got the slow, fire, slow burn, delay fire, hang fire, or you've got the cook-off. So when it comes to analysis... Of trying to figure out things, you can use your detective work and say, hey, I know the different terms, I know what they mean. Well, the gun fired 15 seconds later, so it can't be a cook-off. I'm sorry, it can't be a dud. I'm shooting a Glock pistol, half of which is plastic. If I had a 
a super critically white hot gun, the plastic would melt. So obviously it can't be that. So it's probably a hang fire. So you can do a process of elimination. But that's it. The components of a cartridge and the different categories of the cartridge. I want to move on. <clears throat> we have time. I'm going to do a Whiskey Foxtrot Tango section. And if you have your pet peeves, now's the time to call. We're running out of time. So if you, got, if you want to call now, you can call now. I was looking at an editorial cartoon, and I'll describe it to you real quick. It's a blank piece of loose-leaf paper, and at the top is written the words, List of Wealthy Arab Countries That Are Taking In Syrian Refugees. And it's a list, 1 through 10. The funny thing about it is, or the WTF moment is, there's no countries listed, 1 through 10. List of Wealthy Arab Countries That Are Taking In Syrian Refugees. None. Zip, zero, nada. Which brings me to the second part of this WTF. I'm looking here at an article. It says, Islamic State attacks abroad in 2015. The Islamic State group has dramatically expanded its operations from a hub in Syria and Iraq, executing an inspiring series of attacks across three continents and claimed more than 800 lives this year, more than half of them in the past month. I'm going to read this list very quickly. I'll tell you the date, location, how it was done, and how many dead. March 18th, in Tunisia, gunmen opens fire, 22 dead. March 20th, Yemen, suicide bombings, 137 dead. April 18th, Afghanistan, suicide bombing, 35 dead. May 22nd, Saudi Arabia, suicide bomber, 21 dead. May 29th, Saudi Arabia, suicide bomber, 4 dead. June 26th, bomb rips through one of Kuwait's oldest Shiite Muslim, whatever, Shiite mosques, 27 dead. June 26th, France. A truck driver crashes into a U.S.-owned chemical warehouse and hangs his employer's severed head on a gate. One dead. June 26, Tunisia. Gunman kills 38. 38 dead. August 6, Saudi Arabia. Suicide bomber. 15 dead. October 6, Yemen. Suicide car bombing. 15 dead. October 10, Turkey. Suicide bombing. 100 dead. October 31st, Egypt. A plane is downed by a bomb. 224 dead. November 12th, Lebanon. Suicide bombing, 43 dead, and in France, like we're all aware, 129 dead. Which brings me to the last piece here. Update. This is from John Binder from Gateway Pundit, November 20th. Obama DHS says they won't track missing Syrian refugee because of his constitutional rights. Make me puke. Let me read. Liberals continue to tell us that vetting, the vetting process for refugees is under control. They insist the federal government is monitoring every Syrian once they make it to America. But, of course, that is a total fallacy. Earlier this week, a Syrian refugee went missing in Louisiana. The refugee was in the process of resettling in Baton Rouge area when he went missing. The Hayride, that's a uh, Louisiana website, news, news site, reported there are seven Syrian refugees in Kinar, Louisiana, and six more were sent to New Orleans area. Louisiana state officials heard about the missing Syrian refugee from the media and not the Obama administration. Now this. The Syrian refugee is still missing despite earlier claims. He is suspected to be in Washington, D.C. area, but did not check in with authorities there. The federal authorities told the Hayride they do not know where the man went. Authorities also said they could not keep up the refugee because of his constitutional rights. This is ridiculous. This is via the Hayride. A Syrian refugee that had shortly resettled in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, is apparently not being monitored by the Department of Homeland Security as state officials had originally assumed. Earlier in the week, the Hayride reported on a missing Syrian refugee that had apparently left the Baton Rouge area. Then the Louisiana State Police confirmed that the refugee was headed to Washington, D.C. to resettle 
in the country's capital. Once in Washington, D.C., the refugee was apparently supposed to check in with authorities there, according to state officials. However, Senator David Vitter of Republican Louisiana, who has been on top of this issue ever since, said he spoke with the Department of Homeland Security today, and they confirmed to him that they do not, in fact, know where the refugee is. Okay, so there's your WTF moment. And we're almost out of time with the show. i got a minute left. So with this, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Remember all the events that are coming up. To, to catch up on anything we're doing, go to aaronsgunshop.com. Uh, check out all the pages, especially the radio page. We've got all those promos going on, and be part of it. Until next week, God bless. Keep your powder dry.